0: We get out into the Bible study in the 8th chapter of the book of Acts. The 8th chapter of the book of Acts, we're just studying through the book of Acts. And it's so practical to see how this book deals in, in a historical way with, whatever, with, with so many things that uh, happen or work and develop in the life of the, uh, of the church now. I want to talk to you tonight about God's way of winning the lost, winning souls. I suppose that there is no subject that's more discussed than personal evangelism than winning people to Christ. The uh, libraries of every church are packed with books on soul winning and uh, you go into any religious bookstore and there just be shelves and shelves of books that deal with personal evangelism, how to win people to Christ. A major part of what happens in the ministry and life of a church has to do with the training soul winners. We have all these kind of seminars and uh, training groups that come in to train people how to win others to Christ. It's a major part of what goes on here in our church. And so we have a a method of training people to uh, to win people to Christ called evangelism explosion. It's a vital part of what we do. We meet on Monday nights and we train, on-the-job training. People are being won to Christ by people who are being trained to win people to Christ. I suppose that of all the subjects that we talk about and read about in the life of the church, there is nothing that is more stressed than personal evangelism and soul winning, and it is the least, um, it is the thing we do the least. Isn't that a strange phenomenon that? the thing we give the most emphasis to is the thing we do the least. And we're caught in this, this tremendous um, tension between the oughtness of winning people to Christ that we feel. There is just this sense of oughtness to be soul winners that each of us knows. We've just been preached that and taught that and... And I guess if we want to get people on a guilt trip, you know, we just talk to them about the fact they don't win people to Christ, just like I did just a minute ago. And we just have this sense of oughtness that, that's there because way back in our mind, we've read over and over again that, that the main business of the church and the Christian is to win others to Christ. And we've watched as people have done that. And we've just kind of secretly longed to do that, to win somebody to the Lord. And I'm speaking to people tonight, many of you who have never ever been there when somebody has personally received Jesus Christ because of your witness. That bothers you. And we have this sense of oughtness that comes because we see people around us who need the Lord and we know that He's the answer to the deepest longing that they have. This unfulfilled sense that's in them. And we just want them to know Christ. But we don't win them. We don't even try to win them, and in this tension of the oddness of winning people to Christ, on the other hand, the tension is created because we just aren't able to do it. We've not found a, a real uh, way that we feel comfortable with and effective and successful with in winning people to Christ. I suppose there are several reasons why people are not soul winners. At least there are four. And we want to just jot them down. I want you to. One is because of fear. We're afraid to do it. It's a it's a natural thing, you know, to fear that that. Um, there is a tremendous fear of the unknown. You know, what's going to happen if I go out and knock on this door? You know, and somebody comes to the door and I go in, I try to win them to Christ. What's going to happen there? I'm afraid of that. I'm afraid of the unknown. What if he asks me a question I can't answer? What if he cuts me down and hurts my feelings? And, you know, how do you go into the house of a total stranger and just lay the gospel out there to him? That's a scary thing. And even more frightening is it to do it to somebody you know and know well because you just kind of put your life out on the line. You put yourself out there and you're so vulnerable and so uh, susceptible to rejection that's fearful. For The hardest blow of all is the blow of rejection. So we don't do it because we're afraid. We don't do it secondly because we're ignorant. We don't know how to do it. I mean, uh, I'll do anything but that. The guy told me that about three weeks ago. He said, don't count on me to go out there. That was right after we had that service and people surrendered to, to do evangelism and explore. He said, I'll do anything, but I can't do that. I mean, we'll lick stamps and and stuff envelopes, and I'll even take my turn in the, the dreaded nursery, you know. Uh, I, I'll do that, but, but don't count on me to go out there and try to win people to Christ, because I don't know how to do that. That's just beyond me. I don't feel adequate. I'm, I'm ignorant. And sometimes we don't win people to Christ, or we're not trying to do it because we don't care. It's called indifference. It doesn't matter to me that people are lost. i got my own problems. This is the response that comes from a person who is not walking with God. It's hard for me to imagine a person who is really walking with God, who does not feel an urgent and enthusiastic desire to win people to Christ. Young people, it just it blows my mind that we could talk about walking with God and having fellowship with Him and never witness. It just doesn't seem like, it just don't seem to fit. It comes from indifference. Some of us are not winning people to Christ because we don't care whether they're saved or not, just to be frank about it. And fourthly, some of us are not trying to win people to the Lord because of some bad memories. I mean, we may have had some bad experiences in the past. We may have been with some guy who was out trying to visit, he just made a buffoon of himself. And we just made a promise to ourselves after that night, if I ever get back to church and get home, I'll never do this again. And so we have all these bad memories and bad experiences and they just kind of hang us up as far as winning people to Christ. And isn't it strange that we come to church on Sunday, you know, and we have a good service and there's great singing like this morning and, and the Lord just seems to be present. And while we're sitting in the service... We're thinking to ourselves, you know, this is it. This is what it's about. This is what every person needs. And I'm going to go out of here today, and I'm going back to school. I'm going to the the college campus. I'm going to my neighbor. So help me this week. I'm going to that person. I'm going to press to him claims of Christ. I'm just going to do it. This is what it's about. And we get out of here, and it just kind of dies because it's hard to move from the theoretical to the practical. It's hard to move from the inspiration when we're all here together in a common ground and then move out there in the reality where people live and just carry it on out there. Isn't it strange that that's so difficult? Well, the Bible gives us some, some various approaches to winning souls. There are some approaches to winning souls. Now, follow your outline. I want to give you three or four. One is the redskin approach. Now the redskin approach is a guy who says it's the scalps that count. I'm going to get me some scalps. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to get me some scalps. I'm going to hang them on my belt. I'm going to get me some notches on my gun. I'm going to after them. It's the scalps that count. And we count all these people that we quote one to Christ. When I was living in West Texas, we had this uh, area-wide crusade and they had this big uh, city-wide crusade in Plainview, Texas. And all the churches came together in Plainview for a week, and then we went out to the various churches for the next week and in individual church, church revivals. And so on Sunday afternoon before the area-wide crusade began, we got all, all of us got together and we were going to blitz Plainview, Texas. It doesn't take long to blitz Plainview, but that's the biggest town around. And they brought this guy in from California to teach us how to win people to the Lord. He had done this street ministry out in Hollywood uh, during the hippie days, And he was there and he was going to tell us, this is what we were told to do. He said, we we were stationed on street corners in Plainview. And every time a car pulled up at one of these stop signs or red lights, we were to go over to the window, tap on the window. It's a true story. My wife will verify this. I get a little ministerial in my conversation, but she doesn't. It's the truth. We, go, we, our, we were supposed to go over and knock on the window, and they would roll down the window. If it's in the summer, it was in the summertime, really. And we would say, would you like to be saved? And they'd say yes, and you were to stick your hand out and say, Well, God bless you, brother. Welcome to the family of God. Then get your hand back, because about that time, the red light was going to change to green. It was going to be on their way. You might pull your arm off. That was just how we were trained when win people to the Lord. And this guy had all these scalps on his belt. He'd just come from San Antonio. He'd won like 500 people to the Lord down there in San Antonio. And that was our approach, the redskin approach a disgrace really. Uh, That's another another story. But there's some advantages to that approach. One advantage is that it gets results. I mean you get results with that and it relieves guilt. You you can tell yourself I'm winning people to the Lord. I'm satisfying God's demand for my life. But there's some some disadvantages to the red skin approach. One of them is, is that it is decision centered. It's only interest is getting decision, getting a decision. And the second disadvantage is it gets poor results, it never transforms human life. That's the red skin approach. There is a second approach, it's called the Ivy League approach. And the person in the Ivy League approach says, quote, he's the guy who says, let's discuss world religions. And so everybody gets around and we discuss all these religions of the world and we talk about the pluses of this and the minuses of that. We talk about this, the, the, the strength of this religion and the strength of that religion and the weakness of this one and that one. It has some advantages. It recognizes human opinion. It is educational and it is even stimulating. I mean you can learn something by just sitting around talking about world religions but it has some disadvantages. It's reason-centered and it doesn't work. I'm here to tell you that there are not very many people going to come to know Jesus Christ by sitting around talking about world religions. There is a third approach. It's called the moot approach. Now the first approach is vague. I mean, the first approach is uh, crude, the second approach is vague, and the third approach is lazy. The mood approach is this. He's the person who says, I'm a silent witness for Jesus. I mean, we have more silent witnesses for Jesus than any other kind. A silent witness for Jesus is a all Christian, you know, the one... You know, only God knows for sure if he is a Christian or not. He's not going to let anybody get the idea. He's a silent witness for Jesus. Now, there's an advantage to that. You never offend anybody by being a silent witness. Now, you can go to class, and you can walk up and down the halls. You can live with your neighbor. You can work in your business as a silent witness, and nobody will ever be offended by your radical approach. And you'll never be offended. But there is some disadvantages to this approach. First of all, it's self-centered, and secondly, it's unbiblical. For faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And I know what you're thinking right now. Let me tell you what you're thinking. Well, you're thinking, well, what is more important in my witness? What I say or how I live? Well, a question like that is is like asking which one of the wings of this airplane is the most important? It's a dumb question, just to be honest. The third approach is lazy. Now there are, some, there are some, preferred out, some preferred guidelines of witnessing. Have you ever really looked in the Bible to find these guidelines of how to be a witness? Listen, folk, I want you to get this and write it down. Here it is. How does God, what is God's guideline for personal evangelism, for personal witnessing? Let me give you a little background before we get started. The background begins in chapter 4, I I'm mean, at chap, uh, chapter 8 verse 4. And it talks about the persecution that took place in the city of Jerusalem. And it says, Therefore those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Persecution began and the church was scattered and they went out preaching. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. Now this man wasn't a pro. As far as I know, he hadn't been through EE training. He was a layman, and he hadn't been to seminary, but he was caught on fire by the Spirit of God. And under the spiritual leadership he went down to Samaria and he began to proclaim Christ. And the Bible says that multitudes with one accord were giving attention to what was said and thousands were being saved under the preaching of this man, this layman. I mean, he just went telling about Jesus, what he knew about him. And it began to get results and a, a fire began down in Samaria. But God didn't leave him there. That's a strange thing about the way God deals with us. Usually when everything gets just going great, He moves us. Look at what verse 26 says of the same chapter. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Arise and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now here he was in Samaria and results were taking place, people being saved and God said, Now Philip, I want you to go down to from the, oh, I want you to take that road that goes from Jow to Shiprock, New Mexico. Not a soul out there, but a couple of chaparrales and a roadrunner. He said, I want you to go down to the desert. I mean, go down to Presidio, Texas. And so Philip got up and he went. And this is where the story begins. This is where the preferred guidelines are. Notice number one. The first guideline of being a soul winner is this. Is sensitivity. Look at verses 26 and 27B, but an a, 27A, But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. Then he puts a little footnote, this is a desert road, to say the least. That's an understatement. And he arose and went, and behold, there was an Ethiopian eunuch. And behold, there he was, the man he was to witness to. Sensitivity. The first guideline of soul winning is to have a sensitive heart, sensitive to man and sensitive to God. The most effective soul winning people in this world are the people who are sensitive. They are able to read between the lines of the things you say and see those things that others do not in your face and eyes. The greatest soul winner I know is a man who is who is so sensitive that he just gets out and drives up and down the streets of this city in, in, in uh, Gresham, Oregon, and, and, and listening to God to lead him to a certain house. He'll just pull over, go to this house, start, start witnessing. Now let me tell you how you can stay, how, do you know how to stay sensitive to God? You stay sensitive to God by meeting God every day. Now I've never never really figured out why in every soul winning clinic I've ever been in they always spend the first night talking about a quiet time, talking about getting alone with God. I think I figured it out. You're not going to be able to be an effective witness for Christ unless you're sensitive to God. And you're not going to be sensitive to God unless you begin to meet Him every day. Now that's not easy. Satan don't want you there. I think it was Dwight L. Moody who said, Satan will interrupt your walk with God in any way he can, even if it is adjusting a window shade. And Scott said, the thing I know brings me the greatest joy is to be alone and aware of God, and that thing is the thing I least want to do. And it is because Satan don't want us there, and so he resists us, and he puts barriers in the way sensitivity, before you'll ever be a soul winner, you're going to have to begin to get alone with God because it is in the closet with Him that you are fine tune to that still small voice and it is in the closet that your eyes are open to see what others cannot see. First guideline is sensitivity. Sensitivity has a twin which is the second guideline, that's availability. Verses 27b through 29, read it with me who was in charge of all her treasure and he had come to Jerusalem to worship, underline that, and he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah and the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Availability. Let me tell you about this guy I was mentioning. Truman Herring is his, Herring is his name. He, he passed a little church up in Gresham, Oregon. He said, this is my conviction about winning people to Christ. He said, Uh, first of all, he said, I believe that I'm to go and be a witness, uh, go out and witness. And and he uses this command of Jesus to Philip, go down to Gaza. And he said, so I get in my car and I start driving out in my neighborhood. And he said, "I'm, I'm listening to God say to me, go to this house, go to this chariot. And so he said, I'll just be driving down the street. And he said, God will just put in my mind, that's the chariot. And he said, one day I was just driving along down the street and God said, stop here, there's the chariot. There's there's the place. He said, I pulled over, I went to the front door. He said, as I got up on the porch, I could hear a man and his wife quarreling inside. They were cursing and raging. And he said, my first impulse was to turn and leave. And God said, again, this is the chariot. And so he said, "I, I rang the doorbell. When they came to the door, he said, I'm Pastor Herring. And they said, oh, come in. We need you. We need you now. He said, I went in and led them both to Christ. While I was there preaching revival, I met them. They're the most dynamic people he has in his church. Availability. Just making yourself available. Not ability, but availability. Now, here was this man, the treasurer of uh, of the government, on the same road with Philip. And he was coming home from church. He had been to church, but he hadn't met God. That's not all that uncommon. I tell you, you can go to church and discuss God and never meet Him. And you can pray to God and never talk to Him. And so you can have people who are going to church every Sunday and coming home every Sunday next door to you who may not know God. And so he had been to church in Jerusalem and he was reading from the prophet Isaiah and there was old Philip available. God had used him because of his, God was using him because of his availability. I dare you, I I double dog dare you to say to God, I'm available this week if you want to bring somebody in my path that needs the Lord. I dare you to do it. Ian Thomas tells about Flying on the airplane, going somewhere, he said, I got on, I thought, I'm going to do all this studying. He said, I, uh, I got out my briefcase, and I got over kind of in a quiet place, and he, but he said, on, before I got on the plane, he told. I said, oh, Lord, I'm going on this trip, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. He said, I just got studying good, and I heard this guy going, psst, psst. And he said, I looked across the aisle, and here was this guy, I had this Bible, big old Bible open. He said, I don't know whether you're a Christian or not, but he said, I don't understand this. Could you tell me what's going on here? And he said, I looked in there, and he was reading the third chapter of John. Who is this Nicodemus? And he said, I just moved over there and led him to the Lord. I dare you tonight to say to God, I'll be, I'll be available this, this week if you want to bring somebody hurting into my life. Somebody right of this young people. This group uh, did that not, not too long ago. They were telling me about One of our young people said, Lord, I'm available today to to be used of you. And they got to school and somebody came crying with a problem. Availability. Third. The third guideline is initiative. Look at verse 30. And when Philip had run up, he was, you know, here was this chariot going along. He's running alongside of it. And when Philip had run up, he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said... Do you understand what you're reading? He he took the initiative. What a beautiful approach. I mean, you talk about a beautiful lead in. What a marvelous approach. But he took the initiative. Now, now it would be great if somebody came up to you tomorrow, maybe at on the campus or where you work, and just kind of tapped you on the shoulder and said, "Can you tell me how to be a Christian?" That'd probably scare the life out of you, but you know that that that, that would be a start, you know Well you might say, well I'll, I'll take you to the pastor or Lee, but the chances are nobody's going to do that. The chances are great. I used to glamorize that there are just people out there everywhere that are just ready to call me on the telephone and say pastor could you tell me how to become a Christian I don't believe that's going to happen very much, very often but there are all kinds of these little clues that are given and there are all kinds of these little expressions that are given if you're willing to take the initiative to move in with an approach that's that's effective you have an approach the evangelism explosion does it like this this question have you ever come to a place in your spiritual life where you know if you were to die tonight you'd go to heaven and that second question comes and it's a dynamite question let's just suppose you stood before God tonight and he asked you why should I allow you into my heaven what would you say that's an approach Have you ever seen somebody who is just, you know, you could just tell they were burdened down and sad? And have you ever just kind of said to them, asked them, said to them, "I just sense that you are so sad. Do you have a burden, a problem that I might help with?" Have you been willing to take the initiative? That's the third guideline. Number four. We'll hurry. The fourth guideline is something I have a little of, and that's tact, tactfulness. Number four, verse 35, look at this. Verse 31, rather. And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of Scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before his shearers, so he does not open his mouth. Isaiah 53. In humiliation his judgment was taken away, who shall relate his generation for his life he is removed from the earth. And the eunuch answered, answered Philip and said, Please tell me of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of someone else? And Philip let him talk. He was tactful. Was it Mark Twain who said the sweetest sound to anybody's ears is his own voice? He let him talk. He let him ask a question and he listened. And he communicated because half of communication is listening. And he answered the question that the man was asking. Now, folks, we're not answering questions. We're not even answering questions people are asking. He let him talk. He let him communicate. He answered his question. He was tactful. Fifth, he was precise. So that the fifth guideline is preciseness, verse 35. And Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture... He preached Jesus to him. Oh, what a word. I don't think there's anything any more exciting than that. You know, I can almost, you know, get worked up. Just read that verse. And he started from this verse and he preached Jesus. Let me tell you what, you go to any verse and you can preach Jesus from that verse. For the theme of this Bible is Jesus. I mean he's in the Old and New Testament his theme is Jesus and he just started from there and he preached Jesus. He didn't talk to him about religion. He didn't discuss the problems in, in Ethiopia and the treasury and the, and, the, and, the, and the economic struggle and crisis. He just started about Jesus. We can talk all day with people and we do. But the clue It's just to get to the heart of the matter, to the heart of the need, and that's Jesus. So that woman came to him at the well, and she had all these questions, and he just tactfully and lovingly brought her right around to the Messiah, and then he said, I'm the one you're looking for. Precise. Six. He was decisive. He was decisive. So that's the sixth guideline is decisiveness, 36 through 38. And as they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, well, you might ought to study about it a little longer. No, he didn't. They got out of the chariot, and they both went down into the water. That's water baptism, immersion, and he baptized. He, he was decisive. Now what about that Ethiopian? The Bible says that all of a sudden Philip was snatched away and the eunuch saw him no more but he went on his way rejoicing. And Philip found himself in Zotus, and as he passed through he kept preaching the gospel. I want you to flip your New Testament, your Bible to Psalm 68. I want to show you something interesting. Psalm 68 and the verse is 31 Psalm 68 and the verse is 31. And some say that Philip and the eunuch were the beginning of the fulfillment of this prophecy. Ethiopia will quickly stretch out her hands to God. I want to finish what I'm saying tonight with this bold statement. If everybody in this room tonight developed the guidelines of how to win people to Christ that are found right here in this scripture, Durant, Oklahoma would quickly stretch out our hands to God. If we follow the guidelines of this scripture, Durant High School would quickly stretch out her hands to God. Southeastern Oklahoma State University would stretch out her hands to God. This community would quickly stretch out her hands to God. And I live under the absolute conviction, deep conviction, that the only way that you and I will ever see this world come to Christ is when people, when lay people, begin to do what Philip did. Let's bow and pray. Our Father, we pray for a sensitive spirit. Let our ears be honed to the still small voice and our eyes to see what others cannot. Sensitive made sensitive by the heart of our Lord, who saw the multitudes as sheep scattered without a shepherd. Let us tonight have a sensitive heart. Give us availability. Help us to be available. To say, Lord, I make myself available to you. If you want to bring into my path someone who needs the gospel, I'll be there as a channel through whom to work. Oh Lord, help us to long to see Durant quickly stretch out our hands to God. And I pray that if there are those of us who need to make major public decisions in this last moment, that we shall. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. And our invitations tonight are just as always the invitation to come claiming Christ's gift of salvation for you. Trusting Jesus and Jesus alone. How would you answer that question? If you stood before God tonight and he asked you, why should I allow you into heaven? What would you answer? What could you answer? The second invitation tonight is for those of us Christian people who just need publicly to make public response to the leadership of God. Maybe to join the church to rededicate ourselves commit ourselves publicly to Christian witness because we haven't. We'll give you an opportunity to do that in this invitation and we'll do it quickly if you'll stand and sing with us and come.